Welcome to another episode of the Talking Tenants podcast, hosted by me, John Joe O'Hara. Today on the show, we have Raquel Lemon, operating partner at Potentia Capital. We'll look to gain insights on the economic outlook and the potential implications and opportunities for hiring and job seeking in the months and quarters ahead. Thanks for having me. So welcome to the podcast. Um, you've led ASX listed and founder-led businesses in talent and employee experience and now private equity. What I was hoping to glean from our chat is, is a little bit of an insight into the macroeconomic environment and, and what impact we may face um, from a hiring perspective and for anybody that might be looking to make a career move in the coming months, um, whether we can glean some insights that we can share with those people um, at this point in time. So we're, we're certainly looking towards, I think from the Australian market, we're looking at indicators from the US, of course, we're looking at consumer spending and we're looking at earnings forecast calls that'll come out in the coming weeks. Um, and I, I'd say there's, a, there's certainly an ear of caution among some of the businesses I work with. Um, private equity, you're very much at the, the forefront of that. Could you summarize what your view is um, if you're able to decipher it down at the moment from potentials? Sure. Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is, um, you know, as somebody who leads the the talent kind of practice, I guess, at Potentia, you know, I have a vested interest in people resigning because it means I can place them <laughs> in other places. Um, but, you know, always trying to find the balance of, um, you know, keeping our people but getting great people from other places is, you know, it's not an irony that's lost on me. I'm, I'm fully aware of the, the balance that I have to strike there. I'd say from a, from a, if I go before I sort of come to a potential view, if I think from a macro view, you know, nine months is a long time in the world we live in, John Joe. And I'd say when I first started at Potentia in October last year, the world felt like a different place. Um, money was cheap, almost free, and certainly the valuations we were seeing from businesses um, and the growth we were seeing in those businesses was remarkable when you consider that, say, 12 to 18 months earlier at the beginning of the pandemic, it felt like the bottom was falling out of the market. So we've had these incredible troughs followed by peaks. And I'd say what we're seeing now is a correction of that really extreme variation in a relatively short space of time. So there's a lot of panic in the market at the moment in the same way there was a huge amount of panic in, say, March 2020. Um, but I would say that this time, I hope, um, there's there's blue skies, I believe, on the horizon if we can maintain cool heads and make good decisions. I think this is an event, and I say this acknowledging that there are people out there who are really severely impacted by small changes and things like interest rates. So I don't want to diminish that. But if we put a talent lens on this, I think if we can keep cool heads, we'll, um, we'll come out of this okay. But this is a natural correction for me of what we've been seeing um, in, the, in the cycles over the last couple of years. We've seen as a result of that VC investment in in tech firms drop. So last quarter was the, the lowest in in a decade. Mm. Potentia went through a a large fundraise more recently. Congratulations! How does that differ 
in terms of Potentia's view of the market um, and what do you look for in a potential um, business that you would go in and um, manage, essentially? So I think that I think for us, the brief hasn't changed at all. We invest in mid-market SaaS businesses that are usually, you know, a fair way beyond the startup phase. They're either in a scale-up phase um, or they're perhaps even more mature than that. Some of the businesses we buy are 20 years old. They may have been led by that founder of that business for 20 years. Um, We look for sticky software that's mission critical. So hopefully... um, you know, quite stable, really great customer base that loves that product, whatever that product may be, that's essential for the running of other businesses. Um, so essentially difficult to leave, I guess, is, is another way of putting it. And we look at these businesses in a way that I guess gives us confidence that we have the expertise and the, and the operating knowledge to add value um, and that helps us build our investment case and we think carefully about what it is that we can do to be the game changer to get this business to wherever it is that, that we want to take it, which is usually, you know, more profitable, more valuable. Um, so we create value, I guess, is, is what I'm looking for. So the business is usually... Um, a good quality business that we think we can we can bring something to the table to. And I'll admit this is some of a loaded question, but is there a yes. philosophy in terms of talent acquisition and building a business, building a culture, the, the, the type of people within those organisations, does it very much differ, you know, according to the case study each time? Or is there a philosophy that you hold yourself, which you try and, at least introduced to the business that businesses that join Potentia? So I, I think there is, but I will say that often in our industry, John Joe, we have these brilliant ideas about where the industry is going and innovation and new products and new technologies. And they're all um, interesting and some of them can be absolutely game-changing. You know, if I think about I mean, it's not new, but 20 years ago, LinkedIn revolutionised the way you and I do our jobs, for example. But I'd say those products are fewer and far between. For me, I believe the fundamentals remain the same regardless, which is, um, you know, finding good people is a game-changing event for any business and um, a good candidate experience is worth its weight in gold at every touch point should give that candidate a great experience, that the right people need to be in the room making decisions around things like uh, suitability and experience and motivation and that it is an inexact science as much as we wish it wasn't. I I believe humans are imperfect, um, both the ones on both sides of the interviewing table, I suppose. and so. there's always a margin for error, um, which I think you know, even the best technology can't can't avoid. So I think there's some fundamental principles there that don't change and have never changed. And you know, treating people well and, and making them feel like they've had a good experience, a memorable experience, is still the best thing any business can do for how they conduct themselves through a recruitment process. Whether you're successful or unsuccessful, you should still have a fantastic experience when you're interviewing for a business. Um, 
So I kind of just want to get that out there because I think in this industry, it's really easy to be led by trends and there have been some fantastic trends and I think that there are um, there's going to be even more disruption um, as time goes on. Um, so that's kind of like my broad church view on, on talent acquisition. In terms of um, potential, when we look at a business, we're often buying businesses that have founders in there that have been there for quite some time and often wear many hats. So your founder could be your chief technology officer and your chief product officer as well as your chief operating officer and, you know, HR um, or people and culture. And so one of the things we look at uh, when we buy a business is what do we want this business to look like when we exit, whenever that may be, three, four, five, six, seven years down the track. And so we immediately try to, to a degree, institutionalise a business and we build out an executive team. Um, so I'd say that's probably priority number one. And then depending on the investment case um, for each individual business, we'll look at where the value creation needs to happen. So is it in product or platform? Is it in go-to-market or sales? Um, and then we build the teams accordingly. I will say that having um, bought a few businesses, one of they're all important hires, but having a really good um, people and culture individual in those businesses um, really helps personally for me to partner with and 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 get aligned on on what the priorities are and help drive those through to an outcome. I like that assessment you gave as it being an inexact science. Uh, and I wonder in those um, engagements you've had whether a big part of your role has been perhaps moving an organisation from their perception of talent as an art when there are, you know, a couple of people and they're starting and they hire people that look and sound and have a real feel for each other. And as you scale out and grow, there needs to be an element of predictability using more quantitative data than qualitative, perhaps. And I'd certainly say, it, whilst it's inexact, talent would veer towards a science versus an art. Would you agree? I would definitely say there is a science to it, um, but again, it's the science of people. So it's not, um, you know, it's not a chemical science to a degree. So, um, you know, there are some, again, some fundamentals with with what works well. I think um, if you asked me, you know, what is the best way to find talent, I would say it's referrals through uh, a network. And when I say network, I don't mean jobs for mates. I mean people who know people who know people who know people. And I'm talking it could be many, many degrees removed, but often there is some connective tissue there that um, lends itself really well um, to stickiness of a hire. And there's data to support that, that the, the stickiest hires come via referrals, whether they're um, I guess, direct or indirect. And, and what I mean by that is it could be somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, or it could be I've worked with this person before, they're a proven performer, and I really know that they can deliver for whatever it is that we're trying to achieve. And when I say I, I mean whoever the, the referring individual is. Um, so that's one thing. Um, there is a trend in recruitment to hire from only certain businesses you know if you're an x this or an x that and you see people putting on their profiles you know i'm x i don't know name any one of the the, the big tech firms 
that they're automatically, um, you know, preferred or suitable. And I think absolutely there are characteristics within those businesses that make them attractive, attractive to tech companies. I've also worked in some businesses in the past where people who have never worked in tech have come in and done a stellar job. They bring a different perspective. There's a diversity of thinking. And I think we have to caution against um, our candidates all fitting the same mould and being open-minded to capability and competency um, that, that goes beyond what we believe that makes, you know, a good tech um, candidate. And I say that obviously because Potentia is tech-focused uh, private equity firm. So, you know, there are characteristics that I think uh, can be can be common, but I also think keeping an open mind is, is really important. There are a number of platforms that enable businesses now to look inside, particularly larger organisations, to try and headhunt staff from other departments or, or retransition um, people into other um, other areas so that they're, you know, potential isn't wasted and then referrals also add to that. How effective are businesses, in your opinion, of leveraging referrals? Is there a particular program or a way that that should be incentivized or should it be through um, their own goodwill that people might introduce a referral? Do, do you think that's... Um, I, th- I think a bit of both. Is, I think a bit of both is... is Right. Um, I think, you know, if you're an executive in a business, uh, and when I say executive, I mean, you know, you're C-level or, or very senior, there's probably an expectation from most people that you're going to refer from the goodness of, of, of your heart and because you're, you know, fully invested either monetarily or otherwise in the success of, of an organisation. And, you know, there is this kind of sometimes in the market there can be this kind of, well, everybody should feel like, you know, they want the business to succeed. And I think that's true. It's it's in an ideal world, everybody's aligned and pulling in the right direction. I think having a monetary reward is a sign of goodwill and, and a nice sweetener. If you think about uh, what some businesses pay uh, recruitment agencies to provide a service, I think a gesture of goodwill and, and a monetary um, incentive is 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 good and and can be really appropriate. Um, the balance comes in in how much and 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 where where to aim um, that particular amount and and how it's structured and and what what is the reward? Is it vouchers? Is it something else is it is it cash um so yeah I think I think there is a there's a magic to getting that right and every business will be different in terms of what it can afford and what it and, it, and what the appetite is to to pay I agree I've seen that firsthand from a business in, in which you've led yourself MYLB where they have a really good program and that that pays dividends mm-hmm. um so you're right in the context of um hands up you know recruitment being involved in that as well it's not an everyday conversation that somebody might have to reach out to a friend and say, mm. why don't you come and work here? Just the, the, the culturally, it's just not something that people tend to do. So I think those programs that incentivize people to become advocates outside of work um, can be really effective. Yes, indeed. And if it makes, if it, if it helps trigger that thought pattern of, oh, wow, I, I never thought about this, but you, you might actually be a great fit or a great match. Um, then I, I think that 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 can only be positive, um, and you know, 
it's an easy argument to have if you're trying to convince um, management in a business why that's profitable. And John Joe, I realize you lead a recruitment firm, but you know, a cost comparison of a, an agency fee versus a referral fee, it's a no-brainer. So I think it's it, you know, for those businesses that are data-led, it's a really good, feel free to edit this out. It's a really, it's a really smart business decision to make. No, I think that's sage advice. What's your advice to businesses? within the portfolio at the moment in regards to hiring, if you could summarise it? I think, um, again, it, it comes down to that value creation. Where are we going to get the best value? Um, we have had conversations across the portfolio around um, being prudent about where to spend recruitment dollars at the moment, I would say we're seeing a, a slightly softening trend around the salary increases we've been seeing. And so there's conversations going around around the, the portfolio about making sure we're really pressure testing salaries and making sure that they're the right salaries um, and, you know, that there's they can measure it with the rest of the team. We have been seeing historically, and, you know, if I, I, again, I reflect, say, even six months ago, talking to candidates who had um, really high salary expectations, I am seeing that soften at the moment. So we really talk carefully about what it is we should be paying and what the market is doing and, and how it's moving. So they're active conversations. And sometimes the conversation isn't we're not going to hire those anymore, but it could be let's pause on those roles for this quarter and see how we're going next quarter. Um, so not not striking them or not freezing roles, but certainly being super considered about how we hire and where we're hiring um, and, you know, the impact that has on the team and on the broader um, salary piece. And I, I kind of want to want to speak to that in more detail because it's not about oh, we don't want to pay people what's fair but when you bring people in from external um, businesses into a business and there can be discrepancies and so one of the things we did coming into our budgeting um, period which is just closed off was really looking at salaries across the board and making sure that we were meeting the market where possible and focusing on um, increasing the salaries of those people where there were discrepancies and, and getting everybody to a far more even playing field. And I think they're good conversations to be having. And, you know, if you've been somewhere a while, it can be hard to budge that salary up. So, you know, you see these market events, as I mentioned, where these these swings come and, and it's an opportunity to correct and to even out the playing field somewhat, even for those who are already in the business. So where to spend those dollars, I guess, is really crucial. Um, do we want to make sure we're wrapping our arms around our staff, uh, our good performers and making them feel like they're um, valued and, and, you know, cementing their place, I guess, in the team? So to, to summarise, it'd be a case-by-case. Case. In some places there may be um, some tightening or roles pushed back a quarter um, or whatever it might be, and then an opportunity to right size and level perhaps on um, new hires with um, salary expectations that are more market appropriate. Yeah, and, you know, there's always a, t a temptation to go for the new and shiny. So the challenge I'm giving um, our heads of um, people and culture and chief people officers is, you know, 
let's look at our teams that we already have and think about who is it that we we just can't afford to lose and making sure that we're thinking about um, retention as well as acquisition um, because the cost of replacement is significant. And so it's important to invest um, in those areas and make sure that we are solidifying and trying to minimise turnover or attrition where we can. Which which segments of the portfolio from a job a perspective have have would you say had the greatest increases in in salary and earnings over the past? It time? won't it won't surprise you that engineering has been um, absolutely at the forefront of the the leaps that we're seeing, um, and I think that is a worldwide trend. I would say that things are starting to temper somewhat, but it has been significant. And, you know, when you think about the operating costs of a business um, and and the the rate increases we've been seeing across the board with our engineering staff at all levels, mind you, um, from junior all the way up to uh, C chief technology officers, um, has been marked. And I mean, I've witnessed crazy behaviour when it comes to recruitment. In the role that I played before um, joining Potentia, I led a really large team at a very large bank where we were hiring for the technology teams of, of that business. And we had people who had been with the bank for a very long time leaving for nine-month contracts because the the difference in in rates from a, a full-time permanent role in a very stable business, um, the rate increase was so marked that they felt comfortable taking that risk because the reward was so great to do so. And when I say reward, I mean remuneration, like it was crazy money. Um, and it, it came down to utter desperation. You know, there is a talent shortage, a global talent um, shortage. Um, but felt even more acutely here uh, in Australia, given the state of our borders. Last year in particular, we saw a 70% drop in immigration. So it was definitely felt and it was reflected in the behaviour um, that I was witnessing, you know, th- throughout the, the team at the time. So, so I think that has calmed down somewhat, but engineering remains a enormous challenge uh, from a hiring point of view um, but I think we're seeing less erratic um, patterns of behavior in job seekers and job leavers. Unemployment's still very low in Australia and those migration levels are still low we'll see what's come over the course of this year what indicators whether anecdotal so far are you seeing that there could be that potential correction or leveling in in those expectations from candidates? Yeah, so anecdotally, I would say, you know, speaking to our talent partners, our recruitment partners, we're definitely seeing less, um, less friend. It's less of a frenzy, I would say, than it than it was. I'd say salaries are still high, so it's kind of like if you think of people as as a, a business's greatest asset. And then you think about, you know, in a household, what is your greatest asset, you know, aside from your family and your health? It's probably the house you live in, right? So you pay uh, 
pay your mortgage. And at the moment, we're seeing a correction in the real estate market. Money's no longer free and it's becoming more expensive to you know, run your, your household. Those costs are being felt in, in the business world as well. Running a, a business is also expensive. Labor costs are increasing and the cost of maintaining an office is increasing. Energy prices are through the roof. And it is a similar comparison, I guess. Everybody needs a house. We all need somebody to live, somewhere to live. And we all need somebody or people to, to be parts of our businesses. But the, the, that behaviour has calmed down. And so we're seeing that reflected across the portfolio, but also more broadly in market. And with that uncertainty, those factors I've mentioned, people become more afraid of making moves and jumping ship, so to speak, and going to other businesses where they may feel there could be future volatility or uncertainty about the security of their role. So I think naturally the economic factors we're seeing in the broader um, climate will have an effect on people's behaviour when it comes to moving patterns and 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 transitioning out of roles where they may feel safe and um, and secure versus, say, six to nine months ago. I think that's an important point. Yeah, and the, the period we just looked at almost exists within itself. I would yeah. say it's been, it has been a race, so salaries have lifted. But what I've almost seen, perhaps from the technologies technology sales market is that um, those salaries have lifted on the whole but what's perhaps been more evident is immediate cash let's call it within that time has, has lifted because there's been such a race to find people and, and, and candidate behavior as you said has changed because people have more um, more assurance to go to go and move and what we found is that for instance over the past 18 months for technology sales equity has been perhaps the largest um, contributor or demand for candidates so we would speak to candidates daily who wouldn't mm. look at an opportunity unless they were offered equity so mm. there's been a period of 12 months where businesses have been fighting for talent and offering things that are perhaps outside of base salary though they've been lifting to give more of an immediate whether it be um equity or rsus to basically just compete against others so What's now becoming more evident, as you mentioned, West Anse anecdote is that perhaps those kind of plans aren't as um, as attractive because stock plans haven't quite um, found the returns that they were expecting, perhaps, and there's a decreased investment from VCs in the market, so there are less of those opportunities around. So I think what we might see is a return to fixed base and OTE being really important and then things like sign-on bonuses and guarantees taking the place of RSUs um, and that'll be somewhat of a change from what we've seen over the last 18 months but with interest rates rising I think there'll still be candidates looking to really lift even lift their base in sales and OTE and looking for, for more whether that'll be possible um, I'm not sure but I, I don't think they'll drop too much for for sales. That's just one segment of the market, but I, I think there'll be a there'll be a difference in how people remunerate it. Um, but I think they'll try to keep steady levels. Don't know, I think. If you agree. I think the other thing to note with that is that not all equity is created equal, and so uh, what I believe again anecdotally um, 
some people are realising is that uh, if it sounds too good to be true, it, it probably is. And um, different equity plans are, and, and ESOP programs are often um, quite nebulous and actually seeing a liquidation event that's going to result in a payout that um, could be life impacting, those opportunities are actually hard to come by. Um, so I, I do think we will see a, a correction there. But, um, you know, we, we've had real real wages have, have been sluggish in this country and so people are trying to um, get the most of out of their, their opportunities and, you know, that's totally fair enough because the cost of living isn't going backwards. So, um you know, everyone is going to try and do the very best they can. I just think we're going to see a slight um, cooling of that that really frenzied activity that, that we saw. Do you feel good opportunities for people looking to make a career move in tech will, will still exist? Is it still a time that you absolutely to make a move? Absolutely. I think for candidates who are clear about where they want to go next, this is still a fantastic time to be looking for work. It is, as you said, um, the lowest rate of unemployment we've seen for a really long time. Yes, our borders are open and um, there will be a time of, of recovery, but businesses, I, I guess if there is one positive effect of a pandemic is that so many businesses have accelerated their plans to transform their businesses and level up their systems and processes um, and, and ways of working. And so I think those opportunities will continue to exist for a long time to come. And it is a fantastic time to be a job seeker in this country, I believe, um, in technology and in other industries. So I think I think there's, there's really positive news um, ahead if everybody can... Um, I guess stay stay focused on what it what it is that they they want to be doing and and what's important to them. There's so much news and data and information about corrections in the market and um, wanting greater flexibility and and balancing family and work and these can be really positive um, outcomes from a really terrible time for a lot of people. Um, so that combined with a really low unemployment rate, I think means it's a fantastic time to be looking for work. And there's lots of debate out there about hybrid and flexible and return to work. You know, every business is different, but certainly from Potentia's point of view, we support flexibility. It's allowed us to access talent in other locations that perhaps would have been inaccessible before remote working became a more standardised um, method. And I think there is opportunity there. And those opportunities will bring challenges around connectivity and bringing teams together and, and collaboration, no doubt. Um, I believe, and, and Potential's view, is that the benefits outweigh the challenges and that these are things we'll navigate over time. And so much of what we've all been through is yet to reveal itself. You know, we'll be, I guess, picking over the results of the last couple of years, probably for decades to come, but it's been a hugely impactful event. Um, on the world of work and how we live and how we see life and how we see work and our health and our families. So um, there will always be opportunity, uh, I think, whilst we are focused on, on what it is that, that, that we want to do and, and we're 
balanced about the state of, of the market. I always say, and, and this is something that we talk about a lot, is, um, you know, have a plan B and probably a C and, and a D as well. So there's um, there's definitely opportunity to be had. That balance that you talk to resonates. There's there's an old saying that you shouldn't try time the market when you try to buy into the market. And I wonder, do you, do you feel from a, a candidate behaviour level in terms of picking a career, picking an organisation, 10 years are much uh, shorter than they perhaps would have been some time ago. Do you think there might be some more candidate behaviour where people are thinking about moving to an organisation because they're paid well and reasonably, or they're thinking more about where can I stay for a period of time? Does this business align with what I want to be doing um, for the next few years, as opposed to picking um, short wins where they can go and maximise the potential versus somewhere they can stay? I think the answer to that is dependent wholly and solely on the circumstances of the individual. You know, I will admit to being a relatively conservative individual because I, you know, I have a family, I have a mortgage. There are certain uh, whims that I can't entertain without some really careful consideration. And, you know, I'm part of a team. My, My husband and I make, we try and make those decisions together. And I think that is common for some people and for others they have the flexibility and maybe even just the boldness to make those changes what I will say is as a trend you know if I reflect on my early days as a recruiter you would look at a CV and if a CV didn't have sizable chunks of time in each organization in almost like a successive pattern you may ask questions what I will say is it's becoming far more um, accepted that People will start something and if it doesn't suit them, they'll move on. And I actually think that's a fantastic um, freedom that candidates have um, to make a decision about their own happiness and whether something suits them or not, rather than grinning and bearing it and being miserable and maybe even making the people around them miserable. I I believe, uh, again, anecdotally, that um, the last few years of volatility have given people greater confidence in their power to make a decision about their happiness and where they want to be. Great advice for individuals that might might still be thinking about making movies here. And finally, um, final words of advice for uh, businesses, talent leaders out there, Raquel, that uh, come in one month, two months, three months, next quarter. Any advice you could summarise about how they should be approaching talent acquisition if, if they might be wondering are there going to be less jobs? What does that mean for, for a talent acquisition in terms of what we're doing on a day-to-day internal talent leaders, perhaps? What, what would your advice to them be for over the next quarter or a couple of quarters? I'd say, you know, if as a person or individual or a team responsible for talent acquisition, you're not across what your business's plans are, you're, you know, on the back foot. So get get into the room and be a part of the conversations where the plans, um, the budgets, the, I guess, the goals of the business that they need to align and they need to cascade. I know it sounds basic, but so often we're in a reactive replace or I need this um, and, and there's very little research and understanding about what it is a business is looking to achieve and where that focus needs to be. So, you know, I often said when I was in um, another business that my greatest friend was the CFO because, um, one, 
that person would give me money when I asked for it in a very measured and um, data-driven way, but also because I knew that if a leader in the business came to me and wanted to recruit something, if that person didn't have the budget sign-off, then that was going to be an epic waste of everybody's time. So I'd say get aligned really quickly, have a seat at that table if you can around planning and budgeting for roles and accept that those things can change as well. It's a volatile time. So having that flexibility and being able to pivot is super important. Um, Think about value creation, you know, and when somebody decides, does decide to leave, often it can be a feeling of, oh, my goodness, this person's leaving. We're doomed. But actually there's opportunity um, at every one of these junctures to look at that role, what they did, what was working, perhaps what could be improved and be really thoughtful about how that role is replaced or how um, a different role could be created or part of it could be used for something else. Um, think about the talent you already have in your business and, you know, where opportunities can be created for your hardworking, loyal people who who are there and who are um, wanting to continue their career in your business. And then I would say also, um, you know, use your networks as, as well as you can, whether that's referrals, whether that's trusted recruitment partners, um, you know, everything is built on relationships and, and the trust that you build both with your candidates and your networks and, and your partners is super important. So never underestimate um the experience that a person has interacting with your business and making sure that that's as positive as it can possibly be. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Rico. You've been really generous with your insights um, from leading organisations and, and from a personal level as well. So it's, it's really helpful. Um, so thank you very much. Yeah, I'll certainly be taking away some of these action points. And if you're happy for us to share them with um, our community. And if somebody did want to reach out and um, connect with you, Raquel, perhaps you can ask you some questions or the people uh, in talent that might be looking to you know, de- develop the careers. How do they best go about contacting you if you, if you are open to it? Yeah, sure. So I'm on LinkedIn, Raquel Lemon. Um, please uh, feel free to reach out, send me a connection request. Happy to help wherever I can. Brilliant. Thank you again, Raquel. Thank you, Jonjo. Take care.